irreverent, entertaining, great talk radio. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee, right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, welcome to the show. We got we're in studio. Uh, I'm Keith Reza with Alan Lee, the one and only, who doesn't say when I introduce him. Hi, yes, Alan. I'm here. Oh, hey, Alan. I swear to God, I'm here. I was just zoning out. I'm just staring at the tape a moment. You know, I got to get myself together. You're zoning out because we have an amazing <laughs> guest. We in do studio. indeed. We do indeed. And, I just uh, met him. Yeah. I'm just helping Alan with his buckles here to get everything you know, back. You know, get him out. Get him out of that jacket. You know. Thank you. Thank right. you, Paul. We have the great Paul Williams here. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now, Paul, before we start, uh, I just got to tell you this story. So we were about to start. Alan's like, uh, you know, we're like, how should we start the show? Alan's like, we should play one of Paul's songs. I was like, no, I can't get sued. He's like, no, we're interviewing him. He's not going to sue us. Yeah, well, no. The fact is, one is, you know, when one of my songs is played, not only do I not sue you, but I do a Snoopy Happy Dance because when my songs are played on the air, then then I am compensated for That's it. Funny. You know, so yeah. yes. That's what part of what ASCAP does. Yeah. There you go. Have a, you know, there you a go. relationship there that there I'm very grateful for. But you know what? No, that's uh, I'm not here. To, you know, I mean, it's, I saw your act and when, when you were working with with Craig and I, and I I loved it. And when you asked if I'd come and do this, I was happy to do it because I you know it was enjoyable to sit in the audience. I thought you know if we sit down across from him with a couple microphones and somebody that needs to be taken out of the straight jacket is going to be a terrific time you know so so well, I'm, I'm i'm yours it's it's your 45 minutes and i'm right half, half i'm planning to enjoy myself oh well i appreciate that i remember meeting you and uh like i'm, I'm gonna be honest i know you from goliath which is one of my favorite shows thank you and, billy bob thornton yeah yeah and i remember i was i was sewing my shirts and i i saw you outside i was like you're from goliath <laughs> You know, yeah. So, but I mean, I, I'm it's sure it's almost like the universe is playing a joke on us. It? Yeah. It's like that I'm, that I'm on a show called Goliath at five, five foot two. You know, yeah. never, never too late for a short joke or too, or too early. You know? Defen- but, defensive humor. Yeah, but then like I followed you on Twitter. And I was like, oh, mom, uh, the guy from Goliath was at my show today, and she's like, no way. And then I was like, yeah. And then like we were watching an episode. I was like, that's him. She's like, that's Paul Williams. I was like, yeah, like she knows you from, you know. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, that was just shocking. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm glad, I'm glad to en- enlighten you and everything, <laughs> and to be here and all. And, and the fact that Goliath was enough to for you to want me here is really great, you know, everything. So, just because of the, we're yeah, now just... not allowed to talk about anything else. <laughs> no, no, it's my, you know, it's. Uh, I, I mean, I'm nothing but grateful. I, I've had an amazing mm-hmm. life and an amazing, mm-hmm. actually, like a couple lives and a couple of careers, mm-hmm. you know, because I. Pissed away the first one, you know. I got drunk and, and you know filled my nose full of cocaine for a decade. Yeah. When you misplace a decade, you are a definitely an alcoholic. So, you know, and uh, 29 years ago, my life instead of instead of coming to, I woke up and it's been an amazing life. So yeah. So there's a lot to talk about, and and anytime you put a microphone in front of me, I I have a tendency to get on my my little soapbox. Yeah. About how how blessed a, a recovered mm-hmm. life is and and uh, and these days also to 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 take advantage of the chance to talk about music creators rights you know and that's really important to me as well so those are the two biggies for me you, you know the things that i'm most grateful for and and so 
So I should be, if I stick to those things, I'll be really boring. You know? so I, and that's how I turn my life around. Uh, I'm the Pali Lama, come touch the hem. You know? Now, we were talking in the elevator that you did Carson 48 times. Was that like the record of Carson? No, no, no. You know, I think uh, somebody did, did it like 200 times. I'm trying to 200 times. 200, you know, and if you don't remember the name of the guy who did it 200 times, you're either really old you know, you know, or, or just so egomaniacal you don't pay attention. But no, it was, uh, I, th- I think that, that uh, there are a couple of comedians who were on there all the time. Yeah. You know? And uh, and I can't remember which ones. I will, you know, as soon as we're off the air, I'll remember it. It's the way it is. And I will just have to invite you back and be like, we got to answer those questions. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. It, you know, it was it was, at the time there were like three channels, you know, and and uh, you, you had I mean, basically ABC, NBC, and CBS were you know were the the three networks. Those are the three possibilities for yeah. late night entertainment. You had Letterman, you had uh, uh, Carson, and. Uh, you know, afternoons you had Mike Douglas. There mm-hmm. were a few things where you could get to a huge, huge audience. Mm-hmm. Nothing bigger at the time than than, than Johnny Carson. Yeah. And I think that, that what was, first of all, you know, I just felt like home there. I had two great friends that were there on the show. One, one was, was Pat McCormick and the other one was Ed McMahon. And, uh, and both known to be, you know, uh, to enjoy, you know, the uh, the, ver- the a variety of substances to, uh, you know, to, to keep them, Smiling and, and uh, so uh, you know so yeah we do the show but 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 off the show Pat McCormick and I had did a bunch of things together including the art film Smokey and the Bandit mm, yeah he, we he played Big Enos and I I played Little Enos and uh, but you know but we did a batch of things for the Fall Guy with with Lee Majors and all we had had a great time together and I was great friends with Ed McMahon I loved Ed McMahon Ed yeah. McMahon was just a big big teddy bear you know a, a big slobbery wonderful teddy bear and and by by having that relationship with 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 ed mcmahon there were many times when i after the show he'd go to dinner with somebody that i would go that, wow you're going out you're gonna have dinner with orson wells oh well how can i say okay paul you want to come along and and i would tag along you know, <laughs> well, just, be like oh yeah sure definitely nice <laughs> You know the great thing about what we do is you don't have to give up your fan card. I don't have to stop being a fan, and I can't. You know, I don't have to, so I don't want to. I mean, I, if I'm sitting in a room and Quincy Jones walks in the room, and I've known him since the the '60s, I still go, "Wow, it's Quincy Jones. That's cute. Wow." You know? that, that actually brings me like a lot of comfort that you said that because I've been doing stand-up comedy for a long time, and I've worked with some of my heroes, but yet I'm still like overly obsessed with their work you know what i mean like i'm still a fan yeah that's good mm-hmm. yeah you know, why should you give up something you really love to do what you really love which yeah. is what they also do you know? yeah mm-hmm. yeah so like you know when i was working with craig you know uh, uh it's hard for me to like not ask him comedy questions you know because like so it's nice to know that i could still yeah. be a fan and craig you know craig will tell you everything you know <laughs> unless he thinks oh wait a minute Wait a minute! This is not going to work at all because he, his career is going to go sailing by me if, if I tell him that one thing. <laughs> he must never know that. No, Craig's a really good guy, and and uh, yeah, the, I, you know, I, I babble on after I make my point sometimes, but the point is really that that that's one of the best things about what we get to do for yeah. those people who are living is you can you know wind up with the game shows back in the in the seventies were were always a thrill. You do something like. Uh, 
Hollywood Square, <laughs> right? And you show up, and you have no no idea, you know, who's going to be in the other one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight squares, whatever right. you had to count them. And uh, but it was amazing. You'd walk in there, and and there's you know there's there's Vincent Price for God's sake. Oh, wow. You go, oh, Jesus, there's <laughs> Vincent Price, you know. And you do five shows. You do three shows. You break for lunch. Everybody has a couple drinks. So the Thursday and Friday shows were were always very loose, <laughs> and uh, and it was and it was a great place to forge some some lasting friendships too. You know? yeah. Bill Bixby and I were great oh, friends and and, and uh, ran into each other. I think the first time walking the halls of NBC while he was doing you know one of the game shows and I was doing another one but but uh winding up on the, in, in in squares together or something was the beginning of of a really, you know, a, a long life lasting as far as his he life lived. Now, I friendship, have, you know. I have a question. How much money did you uh win on the game shows? Uh, you know, I never, not a penny, not, not a penny. I mean, I mean, I won money for other people, I think, on some of the charitable ones. Yeah. But, yeah, exactly. I mean, I just, it's the reason that I don't, I, I, you know, all the time that I played Vegas, I, I, I never really gambled. You know, I thought, wait a minute, $300 in, on, in a slot machine, that's perfectly good drug money. I was, you know, I, you know, you know it was just, that's, that's who I was at the time. You know, so. Are you still uh, playing, going around, or very you... seldom? I mean, once in a while, but you know, I've got a, I've got a, 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 a an adult responsible job with ASCAP. I, you know, mm-hmm. for the last eleven years, the ASCAP is the American Society of Composers, Authors, and Publishers. We're a performing rights organization. We license the music from everybody, from you know, from back to the days of Gershwin and Cole mm-hmm. Porter to, mm-hmm. to Beyonce. You know, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, Mm-hmm. And Billie Eilish, and just, just mm-hmm. you know, the 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 hottest, and mm-hmm. and uh, ASCAP's a hundred and what, well, hundred hundred and four years, a hundred and five now. Wow, years old. It's seven hundred thousand members, and and basically what we do is anywhere you see music mm-hmm. played, from from restaurants and bars and grills mm-hmm. and the like to to, to uh, anything on the internet, you know, radio, television. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it's all. We license all that music and, and collect it and send it immediately to our members. We're a membership organization. We're like this country. We had, you know, of, by, and for the the songwriters and the wow. public and the publishers. So, yeah. wow. the reason I, you know, I, I wrote the, the the title song, for example, Charlie Fox and I wrote the title song to the Love Boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, but and yes. I remember yes. saying to Charlie, a, a song about a, about a cruise ship. <laughs> Why uh, this will probably not last a month? And he said, "Well, let's see, yeah. you know." And uh, or a, a couple, you know, a couple, and it was around eleven years, you know. So my kids, you know, schooling was paid for, and, and yeah. the gas in the car and the food on the table, all that was was part of the of the uh, the royalties from that show. And that's what we do, and, yeah. and it's that's why I'm really grateful and passionate for this this. This gig for the last eleven years as president, because we can make a difference in the, in, in music creators' lives. Uh, there was a big bill that was passed called the Music Modernization Act, and it's going to help. Uh, it's going to make a difference in in how musicians are, rather how songwriters and and all are are compensated in the, the in the streaming world. You know, so mm-hmm. nobody listens to music like they used to. It's all streaming these days. That's true. Witness where we are right now. It's kind of like comedy. Everyone, like a lot of people, don't go out to comedy. They just uh, listen on the stream. Yeah, 
you know yeah so but it's nice that musicians have uh, more of a protection because i don't think comedians have a protection guild like I that i don't think there's a licensing for jokes yeah <laughs> yeah the, the yeah you know i don't know what, if you know how how much how much comedy would disappear if it be you know, oh. if there was liability and stealing a joke, I'll just change the setting from a, you know, a graveyard to a supermarket. And you know, hey woman, is that dog happy to see you, or is that a, you know, you know? But yeah, but, but you know, the fact is, with the internet came a lot of problems like that. And and as brilliant and wonderful as, as it is as a tool to learn and mm-hmm. and and celebrate and and uh, and promote. The fact is that, that everything from newspapers to you name it is uh, feeling the crunch of, of moving to a, a platform that just doesn't really get as close to true value as it needs to. So, so uh, yeah, it's a changing world. It's a changing world. But <clears throat> people seem to, you know, I mean, people love music. And in a, in a, 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 a time in Washington, D.C., when you can't, you know, get anybody, you know, the the two sides of, of the aisle to agree on which direction the sun comes up, <laughs> east or west. They actually mm-hmm. unanimously supported the Music Modernization Act, and, and for which we are beyond grateful that that uh, it was unanimous in the House and, and Senate. And that's, that's wow. wow, that's that's fantastic. That's fantastic. Now, you're, you're, you're the president of this. Is it something that you run for, or did you just get elected, or how did you get that job? There was a the heavens parted first. The heavens parted, you know, and a, and a, a large figure burnt down and said, "Don't let him anywhere near the boardroom until he gets sober." And that's kind of that was the first thing. And, uh, that first vo- that that voice was was actually a brilliant lyricist named Hal David, yeah. who was a great friend and a mentor. And and <clears throat> I ran for the board in the eighties and a couple times, and I was not. Was not uh, <clears throat> was not elected, and uh, so when Hal Davis said you need to run again, I said you know I ran twice in the eighties, I wasn't elected. Right. He said, uh, and it's a safer world because of it. But, <laughs> but now you now is your time. You should. So two thousand one, I was voted onto the board, and then you know the the membership votes on on uh, who's going to sit on the board, and then the board elects the officers. In two thousand. Nine, I was elected president and chairman. Oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. Nice. I'm sure everyone in music is glad that you got elected. I mean, who are you running against? Yeah. Uh, well, you know, you're running against the, the other members of the board and all, and, and the fact is that... <laughs> I was making that, a bad joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> who was I running against? Um, well, there are no cartoon characters. Everybody sitting on the board is, is esteemed and established, and, you know, they're guys that run run cute little companies like Warner you know Warner Music and and Universal Music and and songwriters like Jimmy Webb and, yeah uh, you know Marcus Miller just you know great great amazing again we go back to that that thing about your fan card yeah that's true yeah yeah that's uh, that's uh that's just so like your career you have just got to be because I know you at, from your acting but like from your music like you could pull both like that's just got to be like very amazing and like very hard too. You know what I mean? Well, the music is you know became as a gift, and yeah. and it, it was the gift of no. Um, because I started out, I, all I wanted to do was act. All I wanted to do was be somebody other than me. I think you know a good therapist would say, a bad therapist would say it as well, but probably charge more. So. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, 
But yeah, I started out, I did a couple movies. I did a movie called The Loved One, which was about the funeral business. Very odd, weird picture. I played a 14-year-old or 13-year-old in it, and I was like 22, you know. Uh, so I look like a kid, until, and, and it's an old joke, but I look like a kid until you put me next to a real kid. Then I look like a kid with a hangover, and it was just, <laughs> it was, uh, which was usually, usually, of course, the case. And then, but I did a movie called, the, after that, two years later, did a movie called The Chase with Marlon Brando and Robert oh, Redford and Jane yeah. Fonda. Huge, Jane Fonda. Yeah, yeah. I remember so, that film. Yeah, it was a big, big, big movie, oh, and, yeah. and there were these four teenagers in it. <clears throat> I was one of them, and but you know, by the time the picture came out, uh, I think I've got two lines in it. He's gonna need a better lawyer, and your daddy is one of them. I remember it's like my voice was like, "He's gonna need a better lawyer, and your daddy." And it was, <laughs> you just don't build a solid career with that, that kind of a sound coming out of you. And, uh, so the the the. The acting career just, you know, I thought the phone was going to ring off the hook. The phone did not ring, and then they took the phone out. And then I was living with my mom, and she had a job, and I was staying up all night writing and trying to write songs. Because on the set of The of the Chase, I picked up a little guitar that belonged to my roommate, my dressing room roommate, a kid named Mark Seaton. He had a great guitar, and I picked it up. He said, don't touch that. It's a Martin. I went, okay. You know, I didn't know you gave him names. He said, "No, that's the, the that's not the guitar. That's the brand. Never mind." You know. So, but, but I was sitting out in front of the the little trailer we were in. I went and I bought a little good cheap guitar, yeah. and uh, uh, I was sitting out there, and we were shooting a scene where Robert Redford, who was a character named Bubba, was hiding in a in a junkyard that we had just set fire to as kids. And just for my own amusement, I'm sitting there learning the chords. I didn't even know they had names. C, F, G, it was just, a, you know, wow, look what I invented. It sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, that's a D, Paul. Oh, okay. All righty. What do I do to get an A with something like that? There's another, oh, I got you now. So, but I was sitting on on the thing, and I, on the, the step of the of the, the uh, trailer, and I just went, bubba, 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 come out wherever you are. Oh, we're going to come in and get you. Yes, we're going to come in. And uh, Robert Duvall was walking by, and he went, wow, what's that? And I went, it's a guitar. I just bought it and everything. It's not a Martin, but it's whatever. He said, no, 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 what you were playing. And I said, I just made it up. And he said, come with me. And I thought, oh, God, I'm in trouble. You're not allowed to sing on a movie set. What did I do wrong? Um and that's not a joke. I was actually thinking I had done something that was, you know, I didn't know the rules to a movie set, and uh, maybe I'd ruined a shot or something. But he walked me over to Arthur Penn, the director, and he said, show him. I said, it's a guitar I just bought. He said, not the guitar, show him the, you know, the song. And I said, it's not a song. I just made this up, blah, 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 blah. And, and Arthur Penn said, stand over by the fence. And then he called out to the tech guy. And he said, light him up behind him. So they lit up all the, you know, the fire behind me. And uh, they shot it there, and then they put us up on a on a uh, the the hot rod that we had all been riding around in in the film, and did it again. And he put it in the movie. So it's like sometimes the universe will speak to you. Yeah. Sometimes there are billboards, you know, you, you kind of need to pay attention to, I guess. But that was a huge billboard. That you know, look at this. That was the first little thing you ever wrote on a guitar, and it wound up in a, what was supposed to be a blockbuster movie. And that's if it's that huge an accident you kind of go whoa maybe i should try songwriting yeah 
And just to make sure that I did, they took away all the acting jobs for years and years to come. But no, you're totally right. The universe does act in strange ways because that's how I met you. Yeah. And then that's how, you know, so yeah, I believe that 100%. Yeah, I do too. Yeah. Alan's looking at uh, his questions. It's, it's, no, no. This was shaking and buzzing, and and I'm going to be in trouble like Paul. I'm going to play something and I'll say get the fuck what's the he buzz? has what's that buzz in the in the Martin Alan <laughs> Alan has a, a form of Asperger's too but he also has ADHD that, that. <laughs> then they, we can they're, talk they've never I'm, been safer exactly. <laughs> you know, never been they've safer. hyphenated it every week they add add something to my you know my mental problems yeah, yeah. it's, it's going to be, like, be hyphenated but you know it's, to, an, it's, it's, <laughs> it's interesting because because you know the the Sometimes, you know, while definitions and names for things are helpful for us mm-hmm. to understand mm-hmm. yeah. kind of the collective thought of a, this is what what Asperger's is or this is what, you know, what autism is or this is what there is. There is this variety of human elements that mm-hmm. is brought to every one of our lives. Yeah. And, and well, you know, while the, the condition is, is there, mm-hmm. you know, you are a short drunk. And I will always be a short, you know, at this point, recovering drunk. But the the fact is, once you get to know me, there's a lot of information about how that happened, mm-hmm. how I drank myself into that, what you know, what I've done with my life since, and all. And if if nothing else beyond just the enjoyment of having this conversation, it's a chance to you know to to step up to the plate and say, I'm I love that you that you use, you know that that quote unquote unquote that quote unquote definition. You know, uh, on stage as part of part of your humor. Yeah. And you know, it's I use my height my entire career, I, and you know, and I look at somebody really evolved and and brilliant and 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 just a great actor like Danny DeVito, who never I never once heard Danny DeVito <clears throat> make a short joke. Yeah. You know, he never had to. You know, he just and and for some reason, I did. I mean, I, I used it as a as a a tool. I go on stage, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, if, if I could make the audience laugh, you know, you know, talking about, you know, when I was thirteen, I hit my head running under a table and whatever, you know, the audience would laugh, and I would relax, yeah, and they would relax, and so it became a useful tool. But I also see it as really defensive, you know, yeah, not offensive. At actually, at a certain point, it becomes offensive. You're having an intelligent conversation with somebody, and you throw in a short joke, and they roll their eyes and go, "Come on, yeah, let's talk. Don't do, don't, you don't need to do that shit." When when you uh, were were doing those jokes, did you and you made audiences laugh? Did you ever feel maybe I should like? Did you ever want to try to do stand up? Like was that one of those things you wanted to try? Yeah, I was watching you. I I was telling Keith. I said, "Because you're very funny." God, I would rush home to see him on Carson because it was like seeing a stand-up wow. comic. I said, "My God, songwriter, actor, and now he's going to do this." Well, I st- found you that funny, and I I'm not I'm not the only one. That's a great compliment. Thank you. You know, I don't know that I have the courage. <clears throat> I lived in the Hollywood Hills, right up above the Comedy Store, mm. and I was in and out of there once in a while. It's a tough way to make a living. It's a tough way. You know, one of my dearest friends was Freddie Prince. Oh. oh. And Freddie was just, you know, and and little Freddie, his little Freddie, his son Freddie Prince is is like family, who I who I never see, and that's just outrageous. But we 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 tweet back and forth, and we we text. But Freddie was like, 
Freddie lo- Freddie was cast in in uh, Chico and the Man, <clears throat> excuse me, and there was a there was this lovable, cuddly character that he was playing that would fill his audience. We 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 you know we travel and and work together a bunch, and the little old ladies and their kids would come in expecting to to see Chico. Yeah, and and Freddie was was not Chico. Yeah. Freddie was closer to Lenny Bruce, oh. and uh, he kicked the edges out and all. And that combined with the fact that that you do a joke on television once, he said, "I got to come up with something else the next time." So, you know, that's just. And I mean, I, I can't imagine feeding that that machine uh, week after week mm-hmm. after week. You know, and you look at guys like Carlin, you know, and uh, you know. How, how do they do it? You know, how, how do you do it? Uh, it's it's, you know, but being funny, I think, is born out of out of heartache or or mm-hmm. or terror right. or mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's or feeling or feeling different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and it's and it's when we embrace the difference and and present our authentic self, either in as humor or as music, whatever, to an audience is one I think you you mm-hmm. get. You hit a uh, hold on. I'll give you a classic example, whether you want it or not. Oh, I definitely want it. I had a little brother. He was six foot two as an adult. <clears throat> His name was Mentor Williams. My little brother was one of those kids that, like, when when I was a kid, it would they would have me sing for the neighbors, and I was like nine or ten or eleven, whatever. And he was like four or five. He'd stand behind the curtain or the kitchen door and watch me singing. And then you'd hear, after I got a little applause from the neighbors, you'd hear, Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer, Adam Shiny Nose. And it would be my son, my, my brother mentor. And he'd stick his head out and he'd go, I can sing too. And then he'd walk <laughs> off like he was going to go kick somebody's ass. You know? Well, to cut to him in his early 20s. And he wanted to write songs. And I was having a, a really pretty good career at that point in the, in the early 70s. And he came out to, to Hollywood. And uh, I, so I, I got him a, a, a six-month contract at A&M Records where I was as a staff writer. Oh, that's awesome. And uh, for six months he tried to write hits. Yeah. I mean, he was listening to what, what was happening, what was current. He was writing kind of a rockabilly style that wasn't really happening. And he just, like, nothing happened. Nobody listened to, to the demo through the the bridge. Right. So the the gig was over. So it was a Saturday. He had to clean his office out on the next Monday. So he goes into A&M Records. is the old Charlie Chaplin Studios. It's an, an old movie lot. So he's got a little office on upstairs a couple doors down from where mine was. And he goes there on a Saturday, and it's pouring rain. And, he, and there's nobody there but him and the guard and the, the whoever's in the recording studio because there was a recording studio there. And he's so depressed. He's just like, fuck, what do I have to do? You know, you know and he's looking around. The, he, has to, he has to clean out his office. The dream is behind him, evidently. He's totally confused. And he picks up a... a uh, a pencil and a and a yellow pad, and he writes, "Day after day, I'm more confused." It's raining outside, so he writes, "Yet I look for the light through the pouring rain." You know, oh. that's a game I hate to lose. He's going to lose this gig. Sure. 
Sure. I'm counting on you to carry me through. And it came out of him all at once. Give me the beat, boys, and free my oh. soul. I want to get lost in your rock and roll and drift away. Wow. Wow. He wrote something that is going to be, people will be snapping their fingers to and dancing to and learning from, I think, forever. Yeah. As long as there's music played. And he came right out of him? And he came right out of him. Went, and it came out of the center of his chest. And I think that when we do things <laughs> where the headwaters of what we do, especially when it's filtered through kindness and honesty, mm -hmm. we are capable of doing things that will change not only our lives, but other people's. 100% right. agree. Like, 100%. And the question I had for you was, is, is that how, because obviously that's how your brother, you know, got his juices flowing. How do your juices get flowing? Um... If I listen to me, I have a tough time listening to music that I love. I mean, my favorite band ever was a group called uh, uh, Delaney and Bonnie and Friends. Okay. I don't know if you ever heard of them, or uh, there's a good chance you haven't. But, yeah, for the sake of this now, interview. <laughs> at this point, you, get, you know, what you need to do at some point, check out their first album was called Accept No Substitutes. And, I mean, this band was so different from what I was basically known for writing. I wrote a lot of what I call codependent anthems. You know, I write, you know, ouch mommy songs, yeah. pick me up and love me. I'm nothing without you come back, you know. Uh, but this was just like great gospel rock. Um, and I, I could, and I'd sit and listen to them. And all I wanted to do was run out of the, out of the troubadour. Right. Because <clears throat> I'm just so inspired by what I hear. I mean, listening to the Beatles was like, I got more energy for writing out of the first cut on Rubber Soul than I did on, you know, 21 years of experience, life experience. Just that, oh, my God, how do you do something that good? You, you know, and if you've just finished an album and you hear, hear something that the that, that, that Beatles did or, or Wings with Paul McCartney or, or whatever, you just go, shit, start over, yeah. start over. You know, but... Uh, yeah, the, uh, the original Delaney and Bonnie and Friends also had Leon Russell on, on keyboard. It had Carl Riddle on bass. It was, you know, name some of these names you won't know, but Leon Russell is one of my favorites ever for uh, voice, musician, songwriter. Yeah. That's it? That's it. Oh, just her? You know, yeah, <laughs> so what, what inspires me, people do. Oh, yeah. I mean... When I was sitting up all night with my mom was going to work, I brought her out to take care of her, and she wound up taking care of me. She'd get up in the morning, and I'd be playing my in my pajamas, playing my little guitar, trying to write songs. And she would lean over, and she'd go, don't worry, my son, God has a plan. And then she'd walk away, and she'd hear her muttering things like, son of a bitch. <laughs> said, What's going to happen? He's so little like that. And so... So uh, so I'd say, I'd say to her, you know, I'd say, Mom, what's, what's, what's going on? She went, which for her was a word, you know, you, you wouldn't understand. I'm just, I'm just feeling old. Yeah. So you, I sit down when I'm writing with a guy named Roger Nichols, and we're writing songs and doing pretty good. We had a big hit with, with the Carpenters. We've only just begun. The next thing we wrote for them, or, or soon after anyway, he plays me this gorgeous melody, and I go, what am I going to write about? So that's how we'd write. He'd finish the melody. I'd add the words. So I did it, and I remembered my mom talking to myself and feeling old. So the life experience is, is what generally comes out. You know, as much as I try to be clever, 
as much as I try to be, oh, this is one that will really impress them more, Polly. You are moving into new heights here. That's one that what, that I write, if it impresses me with how clever it is, it'll probably sit on a, in a drawer until even I forget about it. Yeah. But if I, if, if I write about what I'm feeling, like, you know, wow, I'm scared and, and, and lonely, you know. So I sit down with a guy named Kenny Asher, and we write, loneliness takes the romance out of falling stars. Fills the wishing wells and fills the bars. Run and hide the scars of loneliness. You go, wow, it's not bad. No, and more importantly, it, it's honest. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's a huge tip for a songwriter. Is that like, uh, is that um, how you like do the lyrics in your mind when you listen to the melody? The lyrics just come to you, or do you like just keep writing different stuff? Because when I write jokes. I've always used to write poetry because, you know, I mm-hmm. thought they could be good songs, but I realized they'd suck, you know, if I, like, sang it because I'm tone deaf. So then, like, I changed it into jokes, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, that's how my mind worked. I think one of the one of the things that, that, that is true about my songwriting is that there is no one way I do it, you know, and it changes with the person I'm writing with. Yeah. The way Roger wrote is he'd write a finished melody and give it to me, and we wrote together for years. Um <clears throat> There's a guy named Kenny Asher that I wrote a lot of songs for. Kenny and I wrote the songs for the Muppet movie, you know, yeah. uh, Rainbow Connection and Moving Right Along and all those songs. And the way that we write is he would like, the first song we ever wrote was a song called You and Me Against the World. And, we were ch- and we'd gone to England. He was, just, he was my piano player. We'd never written, never talked about writing even. But we had, all of us, there was something wrong with the... Uh, the permits for my guys to play, and so nobody could play over there. I used had to use English musicians, and I'm just hanging with 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 Kenny Asher. We're talking about the old songs, and we started talking about how much we both loved Harry Nelson. Yeah, and uh, I told I told Kenny, I said, you know, when I met Harry, he played me all the songs of his favorite favorite writer ever, which was was Randy Newman. Randy, he loved Randy Newman, so. Just out of the blue, Kenny and I write, Do you love me, babe? Do you love me not? Let's decide in the morning, not now. Whoa, you don't like Schumann or Randy Newman. Nelson ain't your cup of tea. You think Van Heusen is a shirt worth choosing, but you're still undecided about me. Whoa, whoa, do you love me? Just yeah. a funny little song. And Kenny Asher looked at me afterwards. He said, you know, if you started an album with that, it'd be cool to do something like, and he played, Bum 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 bum, dee da dee da bum 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 bum, and looked at me like I was supposed to know what I was supposed <laughs> to sing then. So I did. I sang "You and Me Against the World." Sometimes it feels like you and me against the world. He played another chord, and that's how we wrote. Wow. I mean, we went back and forth with both of us working on music and lyrics, and up through all the Muppet stuff. Most of the songs in The Star is Born I wrote with Kenny. Yeah. Uh, uh, Woman in the Moon, Watch Closely Now, with One More Look at You, songs you probably you know may, probably don't know. Yeah, but you know? we should explain to the folks that you wrote for the original Star is Born. Not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, oh, yeah. But I love, see, the, the nice part is that I'm also a huge fan of, of the second one. Oh, are you? And the fact when we wrote ours, uh, it we were... We were writing a new version of, of a movie that I had loved with Judy Garland and James Mason. James Mason had a great little thing in his in his version where he would say to Judy Garland as she was walking off, he'd go, hold on a second. And she'd turn around and say, oh, yes. And he'd go, 
I just, I just want to take another look at you. So Kenny and I wrote, with one more look at you, I could learn to tame the clouds, but blah, blah, blah. So, you know, it just, the, the thing is you, I think life is a lot easier when you don't claim stuff and try to put it in a closet and say, this is mine. It's my idea to do Stars Born. What are you people doing? Get over here. Stand up against the wall. Keep your hands in plain sight. You, what's your name? You're not, you're, Bradley, what? Get the, you're not even a, wait a minute. And and this and how is it you're sitting out there in the parking lot, and yet you, because of two lines she sings to you later on, you know the entire song. You know, it's just, you know obviously your drugs were better than mine. You know? uh, I could go there or I could just let it go. You just have to. Acceptance is is huge in recovery, yeah, and it's huge in life. In life. Yeah. Wow. You know what? One of the best things about podcasts is uh, you know that's recorded. Uh, you could re-listen to, and I like think you should do this. You should re-listen to this epito- uh, episode, and you should try stand-up comedy because you've told like seven great jokes. <laughs> <laughs> you know? So I think that would be awesome. That's really kind. Yeah. Then, and then they'd expect me to come in and do that again. <laughs> but, 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 you know, but life is funny. Yeah. Life is funny. And, and uh, okay, no, I'm not going to go there. I was thinking about some something that was bathroom humor with Pat and I and, and, and a joke that he told and then I th- created something and I went and I have now made the wise decision <laughs> for once in my life self-edit at the last minute when you need it uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. uh, I, got, I gotta learn that because like with my with my no filter I just I say stuff and sometimes like I, I don't think what I say you know what I mean so like yeah. I'm like uh like that's why, like I, I, I try not to stay too much on Twitter because I think, like, if you're going oh, back and forth with all these trolls, people, you know, yeah, Twitter, Twitter's like, right. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. I haven't had a lot of problems there. I, you know, I've, I've stated a couple of things about some of my opinions around, around. Uh, you know, somebody said, I found a T-shirt that said, Rainies and automatic weapons always get me down. And I was like, <laughs> I just have, you know, I, I had to have that, you know. So, uh, and, uh, you know, so I, I, I posted it on, uh, posted it on, uh, instead of rainy days and Mondays, rainy days and automatic weapons. And I posted it and somebody wrote and said, you, you know, dummy, you got to learn about, you know, they, 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 Automatic weapons were made illegal many years ago. You don't know what you're talking about before you, you know, you live fool, but whatever. And I started to write back, yeah, but you can buy an auto sear on the on the internet and turn a semi-automatic. <laughs> and I went, well, no, no, don't don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. Don't do auto that. sear, you know. Oh my God, that's you know, funny. Because, you know, and you have to have that's been funny. a crazy person sure. with a lot of guns sure. at to some understand. point in your life to, to know what an auto sear is, you know. <laughs> so uh, and. Sure. Uh, Speaking of guns, Alan likes hunting and stuff. He's no, just, I, 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 I do have a gun fetish. And the funny thing about it is there were no guns. I came from an immigrant family. And my mother's Cuban yeah. from Havana. Yeah. And my dad's from Hong Kong. And there were no guns. And as a kid, I, you know, I had to have all the cap guns. I watched every Western on earth. Yeah. And I mean, you put a Western on I said, fuck football, baseball, Little League, fuck all that. Yeah, this is a Western yeah, on, yeah, right? Exactly. And so not until I came to California, I bought my first pistol right around the corner in North Hollywood at the Surplus, Western Surplus. They went in that store. Sure. I said that looks so good. I, I gotta said, leave now. It was really. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm, I don't mean. To, oh my god! I'm scared. You're, there was that was 300 people. You know. I, I, yeah, I get it though. Yeah. I get it. And so I had it. It was a toy. 
See, yeah, it was yeah. it was a toy for me. I wasn't uh, defending myself or a family to defend. I just I thought, God, I can't believe from cap I, from cap kind of this. You know, my father would just, you know, because you know. And but it, yeah. it was my what it was my Western fetish. I go to Gene Autry Western Heritage Museum all the time to stand there and look look around. Yeah, you know, I I, I loved you know you know I loved the singing cowboys. You know, the oh, when I was a kid, you know Rex God. Rex Allen, Rex and, Allen, and, you know, and the like. Roy, but, but, throw Roy in there. Yeah. But uh, I mean, if, uh, great Western films too, like you know, like uh, Big Country and mm-hmm. uh, and uh, John Ford's. All the John Ford's. Have you ever that. done a Western? Have you, I, well, mm, let me think. No, there's a lot of Maybeville in my life. I have to give it a moment <laughs> here to, to rerun. You know, uh, not really. Not a. Yeah, wait. I have to. I did a TV movie called uh, Wild Wild West oh, Revisited. Oh, the, the, that's not a Western. I don't know what is. It's Wild Wild oh, West Revisited. Oh, that's a classic. And, yeah, and I played Miguelito Loveless. Miguelito Loveless Jr. That's right. Oh, my God. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yeah. I should have brought that up. Michael Dunn was the actor that played Miguelito. That's right. And Michael was, Dunn. People said, you know, mm-hmm. you know so you're going to play Michael Dunn's uh, uh, son, uh, how do you feel about that? I said I'm scared to death, you know. And they said why? I said because he the the level of acting that he was capable of was just phenomenal. I mean, he was brilliant. Um, but yeah, and you know, and I I you know not not to get into the whole gun thing and everything, yeah. but I think that something has to be done about background acting, sure. and blah blah, you know, this and blah blah that and all. But but. Uh, but it, it, everything is so divisive and so crazy, and and I think that that the, first of all, yeah, yeah, of course, there are mental health issues. Absolutely, sure, yeah. sure absolutely. But the rest of the world has mental health issues, and the, and and a lot of the things that we're dealing with over here, and and uh, and they just don't have the the you know the amount of of mass murder that we've experienced. So I think we have to. It's a it's a classic example of something where, you know, there were there were two senators that couldn't agree on anything. Uh, they were at the opposite si- sides of, of the of the coin on almost all issues. Uh, uh, a deep, deep, deep Republican named Orrin Hatch sure. and Ted Kennedy. Oh. you know, uh, yeah. the libs live. Yeah, and uh, they did meaningful work together. They did the the. Uh, Americans with Disabilities Act. Mm-hmm. They did mm-hmm. stuff around AIDS mm-hmm. and children, and mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's an amazing opportunity at this point mm-hmm. where where the people who have proven that they can talk to each other about certainly music can perhaps now you know do something and and that fear based thinking that if we if we give this much, which is going to make make it a little harder for the wrong guy to get his hands on a gun. Uh, there's so many people their fear based thinking is that it's gonna against that's gonna go and then the following that is something else and something else and something else and I live one day at a time. Yeah. And uh I certainly don't wanna offend anybody with, you know, where I come down on this mm-hmm. the issue but but something has to be done. Something's gotta I be done. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm a gun person, yeah. but Yeah. But you know, I would I car- would take every bullet that I own and take it. To, to, I would. I would be happy to register the bullet. Oh my! You know, is it Chris Rock that has the <laughs> great thing about you know? What you're, you're, was it Chris that said you had to charge like a thousand dollars for a bullet? That's right. You know, right. you know, charge all that money for the bullets. That might know. work though. Well, yeah. a lot of wealthy people would have guns, yeah. but it's you know, and it's it's uh, 
it's it's a hot button issue and mm-hmm. and uh and we're in a time where this i just i just hope yeah. that, that that people will yeah. you know instead of backing into you know their own corner of, of thought and digging a deeper trench to to uh yeah. to peer over the the edge of they'll talk and, and try to get something done yeah you know when you were telling that story about the senators like my mind was because like i was thinking of a joke yeah, so like it's gonna be bad, but you want to hear a bad joke about <laughs> about the senators? You kind of wrote it. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, okay, right, right. I'm just gonna like try all and right. finish it. So like, there's these two senators, you know, they're right on the left. They couldn't agree on anything. You know, uh, Bob Dole and who's who's another senator? Uh, uh, Ed Kennedy. Ed Kennedy. Ed, Ed, they, they hated Ted. each other. Ted Kennedy. They hated each other. You know, they yeah. couldn't agree. Ralph Kennedy also <laughs> works really good. You know, <laughs> Ralph Kennedy. But they did agree on one thing: Viagra is the best. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. But yeah, so, like that's where my mind goes is like someone would say something really interesting. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. And then I'd be like, I can make that funny. You know yeah. what I mean? And you did. Yeah. And you it was, did. It yeah, was cute. Exactly. But I don't, I don't think uh, Bob Dole and Kennedy were in the same time period. But there, there, they, I think there was a little overlap. A crossover. There was an overlap. Oh, yeah. really? Yeah. Oh, around. Yeah. They knew each other. Then I just yeah. wrote the yeah. funny joke. <laughs> it's really funny. But you know what? You pick out two you know, extreme senators and uh, from today's current thing that are a little older and and far away uh-huh. you know i i wanted to ask uh, paul about along the recovery line and in, in psychology uh i have a friend he's always talking about uh, uh trauma and the reactions of, of your early childhood that mm-hmm. you don't know are there uh, that cptsd you know and then you take something to heal that which unfortunately could be a drug or, or, yeah. or a drink and uh, a ba- what's, a, what's your a, a chemical band-aid is a, a chemical band-aid yeah and uh he had that book uh, uh shame but anyway what do you think of, of the idea of, of trauma that exists in someone oh absolutely yeah you know there, own, i'm sorry go ahead. it's interesting because there was, there was a woman named, i think, believe it was alice miller wrote a book that was big big hit uh, uh, called the drama the gifted child she wrote another book, and I don't remember the name of it, but it was interesting. She did a study of very famous, very successful, uh, evil and wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're talking Picasso and Hitler and, and that, that world. And she wondered what the, 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 the examples she chose were all people that had traumatic events in their, in their childhood. And why through all these traumatic events that they all experienced, why did some of them emerge as Hitler, you know, you know the, the the essence of evil, and why did somebody emerge, you know, as somebody who moved through that 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 mm-hmm. trauma and and became creative and mm-hmm. and uh, mm-hmm. and did meaningful work and 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 like like a Picasso, Picasso, I think in, in his childhood watched his mother give birth during a horrible earthquake. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if she if she died or not, but I, it was it was I think she may have died during that earthquake. Uh, but what she found that was the difference between the two sides is, is the phrase sympathetic witness. If there's some child who's being beaten in, in a home, uh, uh, the, 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 the kind of abuse you imagine, that if, if there's somebody there that says, you know what, the things that have happened to you, which you are now safe from, mm-hmm. should never have happened to you, and you don't deserve any of that. That's not the way the world is ever supposed to operate. And that's not the way your life is going to operate. And, and, you, and you didn't do anything wrong. You didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. So when, when this terrible thing happened to you, 
it was it's 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 an oddity it's it's not going to be like that and and come here and and let me put my arms around you let mm-hmm. me hold you that sympathetic witness mm-hmm. uh gave uh, uh you know a shading uh, of a perspective to the you know, to the unconscious uh, you know something mm-hmm. to carry something to carry in the depths of whatever mm-hmm. of our souls you know that makes a difference in in later years I'm sure at the time, uh, you, uh, who knows what it, what the child's reaction to it is, but to have somebody there offering pure love yeah. makes a difference. I think that that what happens wow. with all, all yeah. of us that that are, you know, that got sober, one of the things that happens is, uh, after you've been sober a little while, you start to look at your life and go, wow. Like my childhood was really looked like Dickens wrote it. You know, I mean, my dad died when I was 13. In a car wreck, uh, I was this tiny little guy with a slow body clock, shipped off to live with an aunt and uncle in Long Beach, California. They, they were like basically knife fighting drunks, and and it, it was. I mean, there was a lot of stuff, um, you know. And I and I didn't feel any of it at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just stayed busy. Yeah, sure. You know that was that was my band aid at the time. Sure. And then at a certain point in my life, uh, vodka became a band-aid and then you know then and i was having this amazing amazing life well, you know why did i just keep diving into the booze mm-hmm. and all and you know what i dive into the booze because i'm an alcoholic i could have had the perfect childhood and the fact is there's something in the way i process alcohol and something in the way i think i mean long before i drank like an alcoholic i acted like one because yeah. i didn't feel so much of that mm-hmm. so you're spot on is what i'm saying Thank the shorter you. answer would have been you're right you know, but, you. Uh, but it's a, 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 an important observation. Well, thank you. Because it, it also opens up the door to us mm-hmm. forgiving people, you know. True, true. Yeah. Now, I have one more question, and because uh, yeah, we're running out of time, but this goes back to very beginning. Goliath. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I love it. I've never had more I've never had... Uh, you know, I, I walked into the office. I was I'm friends with Billy Bob. We became friends. Billy Bob is like one of my favorites. Oh he's yeah. Great. yeah, he's fantastic, and he's a, and the box masters are fabulous. Yeah, um, he's a really good songwriter, and and uh, so he he just you know he said uh, the producers of the show there's something going on. They want to talk to you. Go go meet with the guys, and. Um, so this was after the first season of Goliath, and he had won the actor, the Emmy for Best Actor. So I went in to uh, to the producer's office. Larry is has got a huge Phantom of the Paradise poster on the wall of his office, and I went, "This is already my favorite meeting ever, <laughs> ever." Um, I said, "What do you want me to do? Read or whatever?" And he said, "No, I want you to say yes." And they wanted me to play this character, JT, who's you know, he's a, a disillusioned uh, attorney that doesn't trust the system. He has all these these uh, devices to listen to the cops. He does only pro bono work for uh, you know, for uh, uh, gang members. And you know, in L.A., he speaks a little Spanish. Yeah, si tú quisieras hablar español, you know, con este jingadero, yo soy listo. Anyway, it was a wonderful character, and I did the second. Season, I did like four, and then did, we just finished shooting. Well, we just finished like a month or so ago, finished season three. 
Are you in all yeah. of them on season three? No, no. I think that they're trying to back away slowly as they're not realizing what they've gotten themselves into. <laughs> I think about the same number. I think four of them. I think there's four. Nice. And uh, But it's just a great relationship. And what Billy does is, you know, first of all, he's so absolutely in the moment. Yeah. And everything is, you know, the, the first day on the set, he was, his character was supposed to walk in with a, a case of beer. And he says, "How do you feel about that?" And I said, "I think there's more tension if you know you, you know you are the drunk that, that Billy is in, on Goliath, and I'm sober." Yeah. And he said, "I agree, lose it." And so they get rid of the, the booze. The first thing we were shooting, where I was in that little island on, in the LA River and fishing for metal, uh-huh. he yells out at me. I said, "Hold on a second, I couldn't hear him, and I put my my hearing aids in." And the next scene we shot on a dam, he walks up and on camera says, "Put your hearing aids in." I said, okay, so I put my hearing aid to it. I mean, he makes the things that are part of my life part of, part of JT's character. And I think that's true about so much of, of his, his character, except for the drinking. He's, you know, he's one of the most generous actors I've ever, ever worked with. Yeah. And uh, uh, I've never, ever had an adult acting job that I've enjoyed more. You know, I mean, I did a lot of cartoon acting, Smokey and the Bandit 1, 2, and even worse, you know, and, and uh, but this is this is just a, a privilege to to walk on that set. Yeah, I have a I have a Billy Bob joke, and uh, I don't know if I told it at the improv, but uh, I think you'll really enjoy it because you're friends with them. But uh, I was with this girl, and we'll end it on this. Uh, she was like, "Let's role play. Let's be celebrities." And I was like, "I don't really want to be celebrities, you know." She's like, "You be Brad Pitt, and I'll be Angelina Jolie." And I was like, "Oh." I'd rather be Billy Bob because <laughs> he has yeah. more range, you know? So then I go deeper, and then she's like, say something from one of your movies. And I'm like, oh, let the rabbit go, you know? For <laughs> and she's like, no, you're Brad Pitt. I was like, oh, right. But that's what I'm saying is, like, yeah. Billy Bob's acting is just so, like, you go in different ranges, yeah. you know? And it's kind of like your, your songwriting ability, too. You know? so Thank you. It's yeah. talent. With talent, it makes beautiful art. That's what I'm saying. You know, it's just, it's, it's spectacular and to be able to do it to, to still be writing and and uh, and writing with some wonderful people at this point in my life it's just you know it's uh, it's all a gift again it's all a gift it's one of I keep going back to that you know <clears throat> the other thing is is that a lot of the people I'm working with I know because of something that, that I did not write off although there was every reason to write it off as a failure back in 1974, and that's Phantom of the Paradise. Yeah. The, you know, Guillermo del Toro, who, you know, I'm writing Pan's Labyrinth for the stage with Guillermo and Gustavo Santaolalla and, and uh, uh, Jeremy Unger, we're, 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 we're taking this amazing movie, you know, to the stage. It's a long, slow process. And Daft Punk, they, they, the, uh, the same situation. They were, Guillermo, I signed Guillermo's... Uh, soundtrack album of Phantom of the Paradise when he was in his teens in Mexico City. Came to my show, you know, in his dad's suit and, you know, borrowed the family car or whatever and, and came to the show. Daft Punk saw the the one of the few places that, that Phantom of the Paradise was a hit was uh, was in Paris. Paris and Winnipeg, the two cities it was a hit. And uh, the two guys, you know, Toman and Guiman, who were uh, are Daft Punk with their, their, their masks, their robot masks, and I, and Hidden identities, anonymity, which I admire so much. Uh, they met at the at they saw Phantom together like twenty times. You know, yeah. so 
So there's a big lesson there beyond the fact that I can name drop, you know, a couple of groups that I'm working with, but but uh, the fact that you know, you know, when you write something and the world doesn't respond, you know, or you, you know, you 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 feel like you know this is that's going nowhere. You know, the big amigo has his own time frame, and life has its own time frame, and something that you were so proud of make bounce up and bite you on the ass like wow that was just a joke i was only joking yeah but you don't joke about those things in two in 2019 and and so we've seen that and so far that has not emerged in my life thank you lord uh but the other side of it is something that that was panned uh and you just didn't understand why variety when when the muppet uh the muppet christmas carol came out called the songs pedestrian and it's uh, it's one of the most great joys of my life is the mail I get around Christmas around around the Muppet movie and or the Muppet Christmas Carol and Emma Daughter's Jug Band mm-hmm. Christmas and things I did with with Jim Henson that uh, that just didn't you know I mean the Muppet movie did really well Muppet Christmas Carol was like you know why where how did we miss we didn't yeah it just takes time for people to mm-hmm. catch on catch on or to, well or to watch it with their families you know uh, uh, two days before christmas it's a different thing than watching it you know in a theater when you this is the 18th film you've reviewed in the last mm-hmm. 16 days or whatever so well paul we're out of time but where can the folks at home uh, follow you on instagram twitter at polylama2 is my instagram account all right and twitter is uh at the letter I, the letter M, Paul Williams. I am Paul Williams. Plus, there's a variety of people that every now and then decide they want to pop up as by pretending to be me. So you know, you know, you follow them for a little while before we catch them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I love it, and the people that do know. follow me and and uh, uh, are really generous and and kind, and that's really important to me. I, I'm very grateful. Well, Paul, I'm grateful for you and grateful for this interview, and I'm actually grateful that you responded to my tweet. So thank you so much. Yeah. Anytime. 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 Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you, Paul. You guys, wow. God bless. Thank right. you. Thank All you. Right. Guys, subscribe, rain, review on Apple Podcast, and follow Paul Williams, and we'll see you next time. You're listening to Razor Riffs with Keith Razor and Alan Lee. Right here on LA Talk Radio. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the show. I really appreciate it. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcast. Give us some feedback. Good, honest, terrible, doesn't matter. Also, follow us on social media. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Razor Riffs. I am also on Stereo if you would like to chat with me there www.stereo.com slash Keith Reza and on Cameo www.cameo.com slash Keith Reza If you enjoyed the show, please send us a donation on the Anchor app. We really do appreciate it and we'll rift with you again soon.